Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast, where filmmakers become entrepreneurs. With my dad, he's a dork. Hi, and welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast. I'm your host, Scott McMahon, and this is the podcast where we try to help filmmakers become entrepreneurs. Today's episode is sponsored by the new book, How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion While Doing It. If you are an uber independent filmmaker, meaning that if you have absolutely no connections with Hollywood and you have the ability to make your film and upload it online and sell it online, then this book might be perfect for you. Just head on over to survivetheimplosion.com. That's survivetheimplosion.com to get all the details on the new book, How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion While Doing It. We're at episode 99, which means the next one is 100. That's a big milestone, I guess. (laughs) And we will celebrate. So to cap off number 99, I have a very special guest because uh, he's a friend of mine that we started at the same time together, roughly, when we started our podcast. His name is Dave Bullis over at DaveBullis.com. And we get an interesting perspective of the independent film scene through the eyes of someone who's interviewed a lot of influential people. But before we get to that interview, I would like to thank everyone who's left a five-star rating and review over on iTunes for the Film Trooper podcast. And the latest one comes from Foam Rubber Monsters, who says, Artists often need a push, or at least some suggestions, when it comes to getting their work out into the world. This podcast has helped me think around potential obstacles to getting work seen and possibly even paid for, It has also helped me see marketing not just as a necessary evil, but as a creative tool that can connect artists with an audience. And that comes from Foam Rubber Monsters. Thank you so much for the five-star rating review in iTunes. Okay, without further ado, here's my special guest at episode 99, Dave Bullis, which I ask him what his opinion is about the state of affair with independent film. After all these interviews, he's nearly at 100 episodes himself. So without further ado... Here's my guest, Dave Bullis, on the Film Trooper podcast. There's no more excuses anymore. Uh, so you can use, per, I mean, there you can use your phone to shoot whatever you want. Um, everything is at the, that, you know, at, at your fingertips. You can now shoot with your phone, edit with a, a tablet or some kind of laptop, and upload this to YouTube. Um, you know what I've been seeing is, is now I think people are starting to see how distribution plays into all this as well. Um, you know, I, I, I've seen people I know who have gotten distribution deals where they're in every theater in America. And then I've also got guys who just make films in their backyard every weekend for the hell of it. Uh, and then everyone in between. So basically, you know, uh, I, I think it's coming to the point now where, you know, everyone's starting their own channels, uh, you know, like the El Rey Network, Vice is launching their own channel. And honestly, I, I think that's going to be uh, the, the next part of all this. You know, even with you, Scott, I mean, you have Film Trooper. That's your own channel. That's your own brand. Um, you, you know, and, and that's sort of where I see this all this going. Um, I think I answered that question. I'm not sure. Yeah, actually, <laughs> actually it's, it's really interesting because it is. You were talking about, you know, channels. And the new Apple TV is just launched, and they're, they're sort of double downing on apps. So it's like Roku already has it. It was like, you know, again, it's 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 you're going to be too many options. Like you know, like there's an app for everything, or a channel app, or a media app, and it's like, uh, you know, you, you're going to need somebody to help curate all that information. But you're yes. right. There's going to be, um, you know, plethora 
of content content out there. But I was curious if from all the interviews that you've had too, um, did you have you seen like a common thread, a pattern? Uh, something that you could sort of codify that says uh, beyond just saying everybody's making their own channels um, of what could essentially be a, a successful model or a strategy or framework for the independent filmmaker uh, moving forward? Yeah, um, I think the, the the first thing is to know where your skill set is uh, and, and sort of go from there. And what I mean by that is this, is... When you're writing the script, and the script, as we know, is the most important thing when you're filming a movie uh, or TV show or what have you, um, the script has to be something that you're capable of shooting and it has to be something that is also entertaining at the same time. So, you know, Dov S.S. Simons or Simmons, uh, whatever his last name is, I forget. I, I butcher last names all the time, Scott. That's all right. Uh, <laughs> you know, I get it wrong because I've heard, it's, I've heard, is it pronounced Dove or Dove? Uh, I call, I just, I pronounce it Dove Simmons, but I could totally be wrong. See, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm, I just call him Dov. Um, but anyways, uh, you know, he would always recommend, you know, just getting some people, uh, you know, in part of the movie, you get seven people, or whatever, in a house, and you kill them, and that's the whole movie. <laughs> that's and, right. And, and honestly, um, that's not a bad first movie. I mean, honestly, you, you know, I, I see a lot of people crowdfunding, and I they they will contact me through my my uh, website, and then they'll be like, "Hey, Dave, will you look at my crowdfunding campaign?" And I, and I click the link, and it is just so ambitious and I and I'm thinking to myself there is no way they're going to be able to pull this off mm. and they're they're you know going to do a civil war epic for $10,000 and I go you you won't even get past wardrobe with $10,000 you won't even past you know uh set the any type of set design for $10,000 I mean you, there's just so many factors that have to go into that and you know that's what I was just saying was you know make sure it's something that you can shoot uh you know I think people are starting the people that are sort of learning with each project, that's what they're doing. Because, you know, the Einstein definition of insanity is doing <laughs> the same thing and expecting different results. And, you know, that's where you have to improve. Like, if you're going to keep making, you know, movies even for $100, like Mark Duplass was saying, you know, make a, make a movie for 100 bucks, and then, you know, learn from that and make another movie for 100 bucks, learn from that. You have to make sure you're learning and, and what you're learning and, you know, certain things might not gel like you know if you're going to make a movie and it's going to be you know and and it's going to be in your backyard well forget about explosions um you know like in the olden days roger corman when he saw exterior night in a script he would throw it away and say nope this is this script's not for me because it's going to cost too much money to shoot at night yeah um you know and i i think that is the model you can go from is shoot something that you know you have locations locked down and and locations you know I, I and this is something I talked to you about too is you know how do you get locations and then how do you get locations for free because there's, there's a big difference between the two because <laughs> getting locations you know you can go up to anybody and say hey could I film a movie here and then they're going to say well, yeah well there's a location fee uh, do you have insurance you know uh, you know and then you have to do a tech scout and you have to do all this other stuff with it and you and you know can, can we paint these walls could we do this could we, you know um, with locations you can get for free or sort of locations that you know you have which is always going to be your house um, or maybe a relative's house or something like that and maybe if you're a little bit creative you can get maybe get like you know where you work uh, maybe your job has like a spare room or something. That's sort of like where you could go, you know, have a little more leeway. Um, like for instance, I, I'll give you an example. 
uh, I was actually scouting at a um, a national park that's right down the street from me. It's a Pennsylvania park, and um, we I got to talking to the the park ranger about and I was looking for exterior shots here. You mm-hmm. know, I was looking for you know um, uh, waterfalls which they have. I was looking for rolling uh, trails which they have, and a couple of things here and there. And he mentioned to me, hey, you know, the mansion is is a colonial mansion. That's where we have our offices now. But he said the one half is a mansion and the other half is offices. But he's like, do you want to see the other half? That's the mansion. I said, sure. And we went downstairs and the basement has been untouched for um, probably a hundred and some odd years. (laughs) And I mean, it's just cracked old concrete it's just old like it used to be a servant's quarters Mm -hmm. um there's not a lot of lighting instantly i'm like this is the place to shoot a horror movie (laughs) so uh, i showed it to a friend of mine i took some i took some quickly pulled out my phone took some uh uh, shots of the hallway some shots of the interior and i showed it to some people and they were like this is absolutely phenomenal and i asked you know how much would it be to shoot there and the park ranger said well for you dave It'll be nothing just as long as there's not a wedding going on above, you know, because there's a ballroom right above <laughs> us. And he didn't want, you know, the screams of bloody murder and uh, you know anything else. But he's like, anything else can go because he's like, if you want to throw fake blood, do it because nobody goes down here. It literally was a dead end. It literally, Scott, was a, was a cement dungeon uh-huh. that you could like wall somebody up in and nobody would ever find you ever again. Um, so I, that's what I thought he was going to do to me. Just wall me up down there and uh, sort, of, <laughs> sort, of, sort of do away with me. But um but I mean, that it's just something that just sort of out of nowhere, and I didn't even expect to find that. And you know, again, we go back to those relationships, and and you know about trust, and you know if you do have, uh, you know, and, and let's and take that ballroom for example too. If I would have asked him to use that, you know, maybe I could have worked out a deal um, because this is a, a ballroom that's in you know in constant use. And I'm sure, you know, he would never have said like, oh, you could throw fake blood around here. I'm sure he would have, you know, there would have been a lot of more rules. But, you know, again, I had I would have the choice then, right? Mm-hmm. I would have a choice between shooting it in a basement or I have a, 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 a choice of shooting it in a ballroom. Now, the basement would be free. The ballroom would have cost me money. And the basement had no restrictions. The ballroom did have restrictions. So now I know now those two locations, just those two as an example, I know now – I would obviously choose the basement and I would just come up with something um, and then just, you know, just base out of there, make location as a, uh, as a character and just sort of, and sort of go from there. And uh, I, I think that's the model now that, you know, sort of like the, the more um, astute filmmakers are using and it doesn't, and, and here's the thing, it doesn't have to be a hit. It doesn't have to be this thing that gets shared 75,000 times in an hour. It can be just something that you put up on YouTube that you know, maybe it'll get a hundred hits, maybe it'll get a thousand hits, but you learn from it, you build on that, and then when it, you know, if you do ever do hit something, if you do ever get popular with anything or even semi-popular or what have you, you now have more of a catalog, and people can go, "Hey, I like that Scott McMahon. <laughs> I want to see what other stuff he has, you know, yeah. and I want to go to his YouTube channel and I'm going to see what other movies. Oh, look at this! He's got a movie he shot in a basement um, at a colonial mansion, and I want to I want to check that out." And, and, you know, we can get more plays that way. And I, I think more people now are embracing that model. And, and the one thing, though, just to, just to add to that is you have to have a website. 
Um, I honestly do not ever put all of your stock in a social media site. That counts as YouTube. That counts, obviously, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever. You have to have a website that is all yours, like you do, like I do, like Alex Ferrari does, you know, um, all these guys, Jason Buff, because, uh, you know, like Jason Brubaker, because because social media can change any minute. You mm-hmm. know, you know, they can change any algorithm, any second of the day. And then where are you going to be? Um, Facebook algorithm works if you pay for it. Um, but you know, your website is, is always going to be your website. And you know, like somebody like me, for example, I'm the most popular Dave Bullis on the planet. Um, not a lot of, <laughs> that, it's not cause it's not a, it's either me or you're going to get this Christian pastor pastor. And, um, believe me, I kill him in SEO. So, <laughs> so, so, so that I'm, I'm telling you that, that is, that is key though. Everybody, who even attempts, you know, I recommend you go out there and, you know, I'm sorry for names like John Smith or something, but please just go out there and just, you know, see what's out there and make sure you put your stake in the ground because a website is your stake in the ground. And that's, that's something I always tell everyone to look into. Yeah, definitely. Let me ask you, so the, um, of all the guests you've had on, um, what have who has been some of the surprising guests or the ones that you were really excited to get or someone that, uh, just gave a, a piece of nugget of information or just that the the whole experience was something more than you expected? Um, oh, definitely the the person that jumps out to me right now is Cassian. Cassian, oh, okay. Is, um, and Cassian, if you don't know who he is, anyone listening to this, um, he is the producer of Dallas Buyers Club, Ain't Them Body Saints. Um, he, he has done, uh, he just has knock, knock come out with Keanu Reeves. Uh, this guy has just been hitting huge movies out of the park. And, uh, you know, he has, I tried for months to get him to come on and finally I got him to come on. He was doing a crowdfunding campaign and I was able to reach out to his people and he agreed. And I was astounded. He agreed. And he said, you know, uh, could we, I, I have a very short window, a very small window. Could we go in? And I said, yes. And, um, I could have talked to that guy for five hours without even missing a beat. Um, uh, but he had to run to go to a movie premiere, which actually was, um, actually it was, uh, Eli Ross new movie. It wasn't, um, cannibal Holocaust. Uh, I mean, not cannibal Holocaust. Um, Green, uh, the Inferno. Uh, what is it? Green. It's a Green Inferno, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not Green Inferno. Um, it was another one. Um, okay. It was a new movie he just came out with, but um, uh, he had to run and go to that. But uh, honestly, if you know, Cassian was was without a doubt surprising, and the nuggets of information he was dropping, and it's just, it's, it's been, it was absolutely amazing talking to him. And I, and you know, I, I really would like to have him back on sometime. It's amazing. So you just hustled for months. And you said, I got to get him on. And all it was is this persistence and and contacting his people to get him on. Because when I saw he was coming on, I'm like, well done, Dave. You know, (laughs) (laughs) Um, because he does. I I might actually do a little slice of uh, a nugget there where he he talks about that story of how the Dallas Buyers Club actually came to be, like in terms of how quickly financing had to come for that movie to to happen. And you get like a producing one-on-one at that level because there's, it's not like overnight. I mean, this, the story that he has with this uh, person that he helped out years ago, it's such a tremendous story, but it gives you context of like, if you want to play in that world of, you know, independent Hollywood, um, 
in work in the producer's world like that, you really do have to spend your time at the Cannes Film Festival. You got to be at the El Cap. You got to be at, um, you got to work those connections for the international market. And, and, and over time, just build those long-term relationships so that you can make this one call out of nowhere and like bink and then see and, and call, cash in a favor, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, um, yeah, Kazu, when I when I got him, a couple of people immediately um, sent me private messages on Twitter, and they were like, "How the hell did you get him?" And this and that. And uh, uh, th- then after the interview came out, Kazian retweeted it, and uh, I then started getting people following me on Twitter, and uh, they would send me direct messages either through my site or or through Facebook or whatever, and they would be like, "Hey, you know." Um, could you ever send my script to Kazian? Knew it, and I, knew it. <laughs> and, I, and I'd say immediately, I'm like, there's nothing I can do for you, literally. I mean, I, yes, I do have his contact info now, but like, what what is he going to care? He's going he's gonna to say, oh, Dave Bull sent me a script. Who cares? Delete that email. Yeah. Uh, chuck this out. You know, um, it, it, you know, if I... You know, and besides, like, why would I, I spend all this time hustling just to, you know, help some random person I just met out who, who I, you know, doesn't even take the time to even figure out who I am. They're just, I'm just, you know, like a, a stepping stone to them. And it's, and it's, and it's so obvious, Scott, like it would yeah. be, it's so obvious. Like it should just be like, Hey, Hey Rube, send me, <laughs> just send this to Kansas <laughs> and whatever. And, um, you know, I, and I'm working with another producer right now. And um, he told me he started a Facebook and um, within like a month, he was getting bombarded every other day. Like, hey, could you, you know, read my script? Could you do this or that? And he was like, oh, come on, guys. Like, you know, this isn't how you do this stuff. Come on, man. Because um, that producer right now, he's working with M. Night Shyamalan on his new project. Hmm. And um, you're all so- Philly boys, right? Yep. Yeah, well, 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 that one producer's not. He's actually a, a, a California guy. Oh, okay. Um, his name is Mark Bienstock. Um, he's actually a California guy. But um, you know, M Night M Night Shyamalan and I we're, we're both PA guys, yeah. and uh, hopefully, um, hint hint, I can use that hook to get him on the podcast. Wink wink. <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice. <laughs> 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 I wanted to ask. Uh, you had a, like an interview long a uh, while back, like in number thirty-seven with uh, Sean Baker, writer director of yes. Tangerine. You know the iPhone film that uh, made a splash at Sundance this past uh, uh, twenty fifteen. Before we go, you know, into twenty sixteen. But anyway, I thought it was interesting in that interview you had with him because he was like, we we see it from this perspective. Like he got into Sundance. Uh, he had the Duplass brothers uh, produce the film. And so he had to, he was finally able to make his way into uh, Sundance. But his pedigree, I mean, he, you know, he was creative Greg the Bunny. He's made a lot of other uh, notable films, but that was his first opportunity to be part of Sundance and made a huge splash, made a sale, all that kind of stuff. But the interesting thing about all that is from an outside perspective, it's like other filmmakers going, gosh, if I could only get into Sundance. He was interesting when he was talking to you because he's like, man, I'm just trying to look, you know, figure out how to make the rent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. so let me ask you about that perspective of more and more of these people you talk to. Like, again, from the outside perspective, it looks like, you know, they're doing well or they have one foot in the in traditional nutritional system in, in, in that in that world. And maybe, you know, dabbling into some new forays of the independent sector. Um, what have you discovered that sort of, I guess, like the, the wizard behind the curtain or the man behind the curtain or things like that in all your interviews that you've done? 
Well, you, you know, you touched on a good point, uh, Scott, because Sean Baker, by the way, um, as a little side note to that, uh, he actually, his podcast episode is now the number one episode ever in downloads and in plays on my end. Um, not only when he tweeted it out, but also like IndieWire and somebody else tweeted it out. And now he's just like, he hit um, uh, five digits unbelievably fast. Nice. And um, like he's part of like the five digit club. And it's a very, you know, because um, like you can tell when I, in my podcast, like I always use it too as like a sort of like a, um, almost like a class unto itself because I can see analytics of like what I share and somebody else shares. Mm -hmm. And I can also see like what audience, you know, what they listen to it on. I can see what countries they're in, what states they're in. And like him and our, and, uh, um, RB Bato from uh, from uh, Stage Thirty Two. Yeah, they those two are like the top guys right, right off the bat. Um, both of them are well into the five figures um, on both downloads and plays. And I mean, it just it just is. It, they could they should be giving classes on how to build a brand, especially RB. Um, RB is very good at that. Yeah. Um, but but I'm sorry. Now back to you. But uh, to to answer your question, you know, yeah, like you said, you know, everyone always wants to you know say that. Oh man, I just want to get into Sundance. And I, and I really, you know, if I could get into Sundance, you know, all, you know, the, it, you know, it'll, uh, it, you know, I'll have no problems and, uh, you know, I'll, at least I'll sell it for something. And I don't know, you know, something like that, you know, even without Sean's movie, there was a movie and I don't know if you've ever heard of it called Colin Fitz lives. Have you ever heard of that movie? No, it, it was a 1997 movie and, and this is 97. So, you know, this is before the digital, uh, distribution. This is before yeah. anything else. So. It, it it actually was I, I think it may have won Sundance or it won it, it was very well received at Sundance I mean very well received and it got picked up for a distribution deal well it actually just got released in 2010 oh my god so a movie who which got picked up 1997 and it wasn't anything to do with how bad the movie was because obviously it was well received it had nothing to do with you know oh it was illegal blah blah this or that it just because it it it's just one of those things. It just it got picked up and you know it didn't get released until 2010. And I I remember hearing about it and I I actually rented it and um, it's actually a pretty interesting movie. It's about two security guards who have to guard this um this gravestone of this dead rocker and it's actually the anniversary of his death. And now all these people keep coming to visit it and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's it just, you know, it, it's, it, it had, you know, William H. Macy in it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it just, it was one of those things, man. And, uh, you know, and then you flash forward today, and like you said with Sean Baker, you know, he, his movie was picked up at Sundance. It was very well received. And, you know, Sean is, you know, like he said, it, it's, he can't keep asking people to, you know, do him a favor because, you know, when he pulls up a crew, he can't ask, you know, he's like, I'm getting too old to do favors, Dave. He's like, I'm getting too old to ask people for favors. And, uh, yeah. you know, uh, I don't know how old Sean actually is, but um, you know, but I, I completely understand where he's going with it. Um, you know, I, I'm 30 years old, and I still don't like asking people to do favors for me. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah, you, like you said, you've. I mean, you've had like, like I said these guests that I I've, I've, I've enjoyed listening to. Obviously, Sean uh, R B. You actually had Andy Weir on, the writer yes. of The Martian, which was like you know. <laughs> you know, before the Martian, before the Martian even came out. So that was pretty wild. Um, I was curious, like, 
um, what is it if somebody makes their film? Like your again from all your analysis of all this stuff of all those experts you've been talking to, they finish it. You know where do they go? And it's like and like again, I, I was trying to get to the point like from the outside perspective, it looks like all these people are doing well, but are they doing well? And it's like <laughs> in terms of what is the sustainability part of it, or what what have you begin to see those to be successful? Uh, somebody like RB, obviously, you know, he's got that pedigree of branding. He's he built a, a publication before. He's he's used to that world. He built this, this huge social media um, uh, platform in Stage Thirty Two, and it's interesting because his passion lies in screenwriting. So it's like yeah. it's one of those things like I can do all these things. And it's like all these things that he can do are amazing, and then yet he his his passion is still trying to write uh, for the. Um, sort of the traditional sectors of, you know, the traditional ways films are made. But I was just curious, have, have you seen anything or other nuggets that come through some of your guests that gave you like a aha moment or a perspective, uh, something that we haven't touched on already? You know, Andy Weir has a lot of aha moments in that podcast mm. um, because he did, he did well every which way you slice the pie. Um, he did well by himself. He did well when he sold the book rights he did well when he sold the movie rights. He was doing well before the book was even made because he was a he was a computer engineer at a at a pretty prestigious uh, company, and he loved his job. So when he went in there to quit, you know, it wasn't like, "Hey, boss, f you and have this company." It's right. like he he actually put in two weeks. He's like, you know, I love this place, but I you know I have this wonderful. I, hey, boss, I gotta quit. Ridley Scott wants the, the you know the rights to my book. I gotta go. See you later. Um, but he put in his two weeks and he left in, on great terms, um, you know. And and you know when he when he did the book, he actually wrote it. it, it the, Andy Weir first, you know. Andy Weir broke the mold too, mm-hmm. because he wrote a short story called The Egg, and he didn't he didn't share it. He doesn't use social media. The only thing he has is a website. So when he wrote The Egg, everybody else was doing all the work for him. All the you know because they liked it. And so when he started writing The Martian, it was one chapter at a time on his website. Again, no social media. And people from NASA or biologists or, uh, you know, botanists or whatever, and all these other people, all these other scientists were, were coming, uh, were messaging him going, oh, you have to correct this piece of science because this isn't going to work. And, you know, this isn't what really would happen. So by the end, every, you know, week or so, he was putting up a new chapter. He would get feedback from the scientists about, you know, what is, is right, what's wrong. So by the end, his book was actually very scientifically sound. That's why, you know, they had um, a couple of scientists actually reviewed The Martian. They're like, wow, this science is actually pretty solid. But it's, you know, it's because he's, <laughs> he has a bunch of people from NASA at his disposal. So, you know, when, when, he, when he did that, so then he, he then put it all together and he put it on Amazon for 99 cents. And he just, you know, that was it. Again, yeah. he didn't share it on social media, but all of a sudden – he gets a notification that his book is number one on Amazon, number one on Kindle sales, and he goes, "Wow, this is great!" Because he put it for, he was actually going to put it up for free, but ninety nine cents is the absolute minimum you could put up on. on yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then a few weeks later, uh, the publishers come knocking and they say, "We want the, the the physical book rights, but we have an option to buy out the digital rights if we want." And he said, "Okay," and eventually they did. They did. They they bought him out of the, those digital rights. And but he still retained the movie rights. Well, then here comes Ridley Scott. Knock, knock, knock. Could, uh, you know, we want to make this in a movie, okay? And again, I mean, he just 
I mean, that, that is just such a, a wonderful, wonderful story. And, you know, he was self-sustaining himself just from this one book. Um, again, even before the, the publisher came in, even before the movie rights came in, because he, he had sales, he built up a fan base. Um, this is a case of a, an amazing piece of content that, you know, just so people want, or were compelled to share it. There, you know, he did, he wasn't, you know, um, like I do. I mean, I'm, I can speak for myself. You know, uh, whenever I'm going to share something, I, I use Hootsuite. You know, and I load it up on my various channels and I send it out there. Uh, I can tell you what what gets clicks and what doesn't. For instance, I just had uh, somebody who was in the movie The Room on uh, Robin Paris, mm-hmm. and um, she her interview was shared repeatedly by Room fans. And uh, I had another guest on, and. Um, most of his his people, let's say, aren't really on Twitter. They're more on Facebook, and you know, vice versa. So it's it's very interesting. And and you know, a lot of places where Andy Weir's got shared, uh, and Andy, excuse me, Andy Weir's story got shared was uh, was on uh, Tumblr, hmm. and you know, and it just built from there. So you know, it's it's all all coming back though. If anyone's going to take anything from that, it's all coming back to the website. And again, I, I really hope somebody t- they take that away. Is you have to have your own website. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I know that the internet marketers they'll they'll say a step further. You got to get them on your email list because even oh, yeah. your even your website could go down, but at least your email you can actually email your fan base to let them know that the website's down. <laughs> yes, so, yeah, and you're absolutely right, Scott. Um, you know, I I agree with that 110. percent You know, getting that email list is absolutely critical. Um, you know, and then you can from there start a Mailchimp campaign or what have you. But uh, but yeah, I, I agree. Now listen, you have on uh, you have a really good collection of different guests that you don't normally see in other podcasts, which is really cool. Because sometimes you see the same guests, they get recycled in all the different podcasts, you know. <laughs> but uh, so, so for those of you who don't know, a lot of us podcasters, we know each other, you know, so we're yes. all friends and stuff like that. But um, you've had a good collection of uh, storytelling and screenwriting experts on. Uh, so if we can shift gears a little bit and go into the storytelling part of it, um, from all your interviews, these very in-depth uh, interviews you've had, some of them are like two-parters, um, what is your takeaway? Like, have you, because I want to segue this to your your own writing and what has just recently happened, but what, what can you share with us in terms of what you've learned through the interview process uh, that you might have not known before or some great little nuggets or tips in terms of the screenwriting, story writing process? Well, the one thing I've taken away is, you know, I I noticed everyone sort of has their own way of writing. Now, I know that's, you're going to, now people probably saying, well, duh, Dave, everyone, of course, everyone has their own way of writing. (laughs) (laughs) But, but what I'm saying is it's amazing how, one thing, which like let's just say, for instance, we talk about the eight, the sequencing method from screenwriting, and the sequencing method, in case you're not familiar with it, is we take you know the eight parts, and you sort of bump out these eight parts. Uh, USC has their own method, and Chris Soth has his mini movie method. Now, those work well. Um, some people swear by that because it shows you roadmap, uh, uh, road markers, I meant to say, uh, you know, in, in your screenplay. So, you know, you have to start it off, okay, we're in Act 1, where does Act, what is, what has to happen for, in order for Act 2 to start and Act 1 to end? And what has to happen for, in order for Act 3 to start and Act 2 to end? And everything in between. And if you look at that eight, eight sequencing method, 
there's two sequences in act one, four in act two, and two in act three. So you, 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 know, you take that and you can sort of, you know, mark out what's going on. Well, on the flip side of that, there are people who say, listen, you can't make a movie that way um, because you have, you know, because of X, Y, and Z, and you have to do it in a completely different way. And I have heard then that now the reason I bring that up is because this is something I've heard back and forth because some people will say like the people who are in pro of the sequencing method will say things like, well, Hey, listen, you know, if, if we make Pepsi, okay. And we, you know, every day we're making Pepsi from these top quality ingredients and it's always, you know, Pepsi is a formula. Coke is a formula, you know, you know, making grilled cheese is a formula. But if one day we take these, instead of them using top quality ingredients, we make the, the make it out of just absolute, you know, the the lowest quality stuff that we can get, and people drink it and go, "Oh my God, this tastes awful." Well, <laughs> do you blame the formula or do you blame the ingredients? Hmm. Well, they're going to blame the the ingredients, right? Because the formula didn't fail; it was the ingredients. So that's where the sequencing method that that's where its proponents will argue, "Hey, listen." Every movie follows these beats. You know, Save the Cat will argue it's, you know, every movie follows these beats. Uh, Sid Fields, uh, you know, his, his book will say it follows these beats. The sequencing method says every movie follows these beats. And then you, again, you have the guys on the flip side who maybe, sit, you know, like Wes Anderson's Grand Budapest Hotel was five acts. Um, how do we know this? Because we have title cards that tell us chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, I mean, so what I've learned to do is, is however you are most comfortable creating a story. You know, um, for instance, like if you were going to learn to play guitar, Scott. And by the way, I saw you playing guitar recently uh, on that video with your daughter. Oh, geez, I wouldn't say that's playing guitar. It's like you say hacking my guitar. She was, she was like looking over. It's like, dude, Dad, your timing is totally off. <laughs> anyway, I say I digress. Please go on. <laughs> Make sure you link to that video. I would be <laughs> okay. So. So, like, if we were to learn how to play guitar and, and, you know, you you just picked it up for the first time, you picked up, you know, you go out and you buy an electric guitar or an acoustic guitar, you know, the first thing everyone does is they want to sound like some like their favorite band, right? Mm-hmm. So they'll maybe learn, you know, Stairway to Heaven or they'll maybe learn some, you know, something by Beck or I don't know who. But you play that, then they, they'll play that again for somebody and they'll say, oh, you know, you're playing, you know, you're playing this and, you know, you know that, that's pretty good, man. And, you know, maybe you'll play something else. But then, you know, eventually you, you have to sort of make it your own. Eventually people sort of wanted to maybe go beyond that and sort of make their own chords and practice, you know, that's what I mean. And, and sort of build off from that. So in a way it's not bad to emulate or, or maybe make a bad first draft and just make this first draft that sort of has components of maybe things we've seen in other movies mm-hmm. or maybe has connections of something else, you know? And then at the end, you evolve this through each draft to sort of elevate this. And each pass, you're elevating characters, and then you're elevating the situations, and then you're elevating the dialogue, and you're elevating something else to finally you've made something original of your own. And, um, you know, like when I talk to Scott Dickers, who is the co-founder of The Onion, he 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 does not start writing at all until he has a treatment that is absolutely completely fleshed out. Like he's got to know exactly where he's going. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the other writers I've had on, they they very rarely break out a treatment that in depth. They just sort of, you know, this is um, 
Judith Wines wrote a book, and I think it's I forget what the actual title of it is, but it's um, she actually talks about this where you basically you're just following where the characters go. You're just going f- and you're letting this con- you're sort of consciously and unconsciously at the same time, letting this happen, letting flow. Um, you know, um, there was a oh, I forget his name. <laughs> I for- um, uh, Richard Walters, who I had on the the podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, he- part one and two from uh, UCLA, is it? Yeah, he, yeah. He, he's UCLA, and uh, he, you know, he's a big proponent of that method, where he, you know, he doesn't want to get bogged down in, you know, writing the, these overly elaborate beat sheets and treatments, and he, you know, he, he was saying it would just, and eventually it just, it, it over, it consumes you, and you, you know, by the end you don't know where you're going anymore, mm-hmm. and um, again, you know, he has using that method, he, some of his students have have won Academy Awards. Um, they've written movies for Steven Spielberg, and on the flip side of that, you have proponents who have done well with their movies too. Yeah. Um, you know, and and it's you know their style of you know we have to bang this out. So my whole thing is what I've learned, even with my my writing, is you have to do what is most com- comfortable for you. Um, if you are the kind that puts cards up everywhere, then you know. God bless you. Or if you use Scrivener, I personally hate Scrivener. I <laughs> think I might be the only person on the planet who hates Scrivener. I got it for free, and I still feel like I overpaid. Um, because, <laughs> and and, and I'm, I, it's not a bootleg copy, everyone. Listen to this. It was a legit free copy I got from Scrivener, Scrivener themselves. Um, and I just, I just don't like the interface. I don't like anything. You know, it just, it feels way too, way too clunky for me. Um, and I deal with a lot of software, as you know. So it's just, you know, I what I find anymore is just with a pen and a notebook and cut off all technology and just sort of plot something and go with it and just, you know, see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, because especially cutting off technology, you know, that that's actually another good point I wanted to make is whatever you're going to do, cut yourself off from technology. Turn your phone off. You don't need your phone. You, I use a program called Antisocial. It blocks any any social media sites. And if you want to take it a step further, there's a uh, program called Freedom, and that actually blocks the internet completely. Mm-hmm. And it will just get you away from. If you're using your laptop, it'll get you away from all those distractions. No more pings from Facebook, which that annoying freaking doorbell sound it makes now, or or, or anything else. You, you know, just so you can just focus on writing. Um, whether you, you know, if you're writing a screenplay, you're going to either use Final Draft or you're going to use Fade In. I have both. Um, so they both work wonders. They both work well. It's it's about you know making sure. Again, I mean, and I hate to say this too, but a program even is based upon you know uh, your choice because the pro- some people love Final Draft, other people love Fade In. You know, I, I use both, like I just said. You know, and it, some people just like the look and the feel of one, and some people like the look and feel of the other. Uh, you know. It, 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 we you know we're a capitalist society, Scott. We have a lot of choices, so <laughs> so competition is good, right? Oh, most definitely, most definitely. So you have a this is what you've you know taken away from all these experts you've had on your podcast and all this knowledge stuff, uh, knowledge bombs you've gotten from it. And then uh, just tell us recently you won a writing award. So what are the details about that? Yeah, um, I actually just won the first ever Robert McKee story cartoon competition. Um, I, I was um, 
got an email one day about um, about the competition. And you know what? I wasn't even going to open the email because I get so many emails per day. But I, you know, I, I wanted to see what, something else was inside there. And there's a little blurb about it, like, "Hey, we're having this cartoon competition." And I, you know, read all the rules and I saw what we have to base it off of and everything else. And you know, I thought, "Hey, you know, it wouldn't be bad." I guess went home, started brainstorming some stuff. Um, you know, I'm I'm already working a lot in in graphic novels too, um, and working with them. And you know, I, I again I still do movies, but I I've always wanted to write a graphic novel. And right now, um, I actually wrote one, and it's it's being done slowly but surely. And it's like a practice graphic novel that I wrote, and I sort of just wanted to get the layout of it. So now I'm going to do the real one, um, quote unquote the real one, and. Um, you know, so I, I was familiar with you know laying out panels and stuff like that. So what I did was I just got a piece of you know eight by eleven and a half paper and started you know messing around with you know um, with uh, the fr- with the panels. And you know, writing a graphic novel will teach you a lot about filmmaking too, because again, you know, it's where the hell do you place the camera? You know, uh, David Mallon has a very good book a- about filmmaking. And that's the one thing he always says. You know, it's actually I think a, ch- a chapter of the book is you know where the hell do you place the camera? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, and you know, do, do you place it here? Do you do so? That's that's the question. You know, what angle do I want to tell the story from? What what angle do I want to use to tell the story? Um, you know, is this going to be a wide shot? Are we doing a lot of close ups? Um, are we building suspense? You know, so what I did was you know just playing around and. Um, Eventually, I settled on doing something that is reminiscent of the '60s Batman. So it's you know I wanted to make something a little fun and a little uh, just something that would be fun to write and it would be fun to for the illustrator to draw and it would be fun for the for the people to read. Um, you know, so I, I thought you know what would what would be engaging but at the same time it's educational. Um, because at the end, the the one of the 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 rules of the of the uh, of the competition was, you know, you have to sort of base it off the works of of so either something like McKee would say or something that he's talked about in one of his seminars. So that's what I mean by educational. Just in case anyone's wondering, like you know, it's not an after school special or anything. Like, don't do drugs, kids. But <laughs> um, but that's what educational means. You know, I mean by educational, and that's that's what I I wanted to do and. Um, I finally got something that you know I, I was uh, pretty confident in. Wrote it out pretty well. Uh, it took me about two days to finally get it exactly where I wanted it. Actually, probably a little more. Probably about three days, three or four days. And I sent it away. And I was a, I was a few days early before the deadline. And uh, that Monday, I woke up and um, I uh, had the email, the congratulations email that I had won first place. Um, and um, you know, now in April. I'll be traveling to New York, and I'm going to get, I'm going to get to go to McKee's three day story seminar. Nice, uh, yeah, all for free. It, will he be there? Or will it be like a representative or like a, one of his teachers? Will he personally be there for the three days? Oh yeah, it's all him. Oh yeah. nice, nice. Well, so now that you have this award, and you like you said, you have this graphic novel project you're working on. Can you you use that as leverage, lateral, uh, publicity? Publ- I can't help me out. Publicity, <laughs> uh, marketing. You know, to to because uh, you mentioned you were maybe doing a gra- uh, crowdfunding campaign for your graphic novel. Yes, uh, I'm. I'm actually um, working right now on this graphic novel. Um, I'm using. I'm doing it for uh, Nano Rightmo. So I'm going to use basically kill two birds with one stone, and I actually. Um, I was doing a soft prep and I, I actually, uh, 
a plan, a financial plan for the the graphic novel. And um, I was thinking about how I could do it, and then I got an email, um, and and uh, the email basically from uh, from this bank sort of gave me gave me a uh, a, a newfound strategy. And um, I don't know if you want to hear about it, but I'll tell you if you're interested. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so um, the basically uh, one of my credit card companies said, you know, hey Dave, you know, you you because you have good credit, if you open up a new account. Um, a bank account with, and then they said it's zero fees, you know, what have you, zero everything. If you put two deposits of two hundred dollars in, uh, after and keep those, keep that in there. After um, seventy six days, we'll throw in, we'll throw in two hundred dollars of our own money, and so now I'll have six hundred, four hundred for myself, six hundred from them. So I'm got, I got to thinking about this. Well, one. I'm going to need to open up a separate bank account anyway because if you're going to do a crowdfunding campaign, you have to open up a second account. Mm-hmm. Um, two, this is a bonus $200 that's, that's just like found money. And three, I got to have startup, startup seed money, whatever you want to call it anyway because I, you got to put your own money into it. And that's another thing. I'm just going to – just a little side note. Uh, for anyone who's listening, I do that a lot. I have a little side – I have a lot of little side notes. Um, you know – Whenever I see crowdfunding campaigns and people don't throw their own money into it, it always makes me very, very leery. Um, it's almost like, hey, I, I have no faith in my own project. Could you just fund this completely? Um, <laughs> so that's so. I, so I'm gonna. So using those three, th- those three things, I said, you know, I'm gonna need to do this anyway. So it's a no-brainer. So who cares if I won't be able to touch it till next year? Um, because I don't need it till next year, you know. Uh, and, and if I and if I decide at the end of this nano right mode that this graphic novel is nothing like I wanted it to be well I have money in the bank and you know there's nothing wrong with having money in the bank yeah yeah definitely it's interesting I've seen uh, crowdfunding campaigns where they'll, they'll, ha- they'll raise like you know thirty five forty thousand dollars but you look there's like 18 backers <laughs> it's like yeah whoa <laughs> you know it's not like it's not like thirty five thousand people it's like if you look at the like the the money's one thing, but then you look at the backers, you're like, those are some good backers. <laughs> yes, uh, you know, I I was a part of a crowdfunding campaign about two years ago, and um, we were down to the wire, and um, one of the producers actually ended up calling his his aunt and uncle, who were actually in their box suite at a football game at an NFL game, and he asked them each for ten thousand dollars, and they they donated it right then and there. Wow! Wow! So it's twenty thousand dollars in the span of like you know five minutes. Yeah, it's a, like well, you had Tom Malloy on, and it's a lot of you know those networks of who you know that are the high net, like his thing is he doesn't venture into crowdfunding because it's like he spent his time working with high net individuals, you know, high net yes. worth individuals. Like so, it's like you know if one person can give you thirty five thousand as opposed to thirty five thousand people giving you a dollar, you know, it's uh, it takes you know less amount of work to get to that one person. <laughs> yeah, and, and that that's that's a good point Scott and you know that that's another strategy. You know, would you rather have one friend that gives you 10,000 or 10 or 10,000 friends that give you $1 each? Um, most of us have to do the latter. Yeah. which is, you know, asking 10,000 people for a dollar each. Let me ask you so with all this stuff as we wrap up here pretty quick is like now we take in the writing stage and first again congratulations on winning the award and can't wait to hear about uh, all the uh, uh, the the stuff that happens in the springtime and then all the all the progress you have with the graphic novel campaign and then that and that stuff 
It's like when you finish it or when somebody finishes the film, um, is selling your film to somebody? It's like, it's just, is that the holy grail? Is everybody just working towards just selling their film? And you know what I mean? Like, because like, every time I, I, I see stories or read stories, like a filmmaker, we did it, we sold our film, and now we're back to the beginning because we've got to like raise money for the next film. It's like there's there's never like a system in place that says, no, we made a film and we made enough money, a lot of money on the success of that film to allow us to not never have to like come back and ask for money. But it doesn't even work that way. It doesn't even work that way for Spielberg. Like Spielberg doesn't even invest his own his own money, you know, on his films. <laughs> like like these out there, even Ron Howard, they're all peddling, you know, for financing to make their films, and yet they could just throw down some of their own cash if they wanted to. I think sometimes they do, but the economics, the the system that is sort of uh, presented to us, there's this there's this thinking that comes around that's like if you just sell your film, that's it. But but what happens after? I'm just curious if. As we tail into the ta- uh, the end of the interview, is there like last piece of nuggets have you discovered in your journeys with your podcast and all the guests that you've had or your own epiphany uh, in that world? Yeah, you know, I-, I think you're right. I think a lot of people are going towards that like, oh, I, I just want to sell my film to, I don't know, whoever, like the Shriver or I want to sell it to Paramount, or I want to sell it to whomever. You know, like like the like in the in the visit, the M Night Shyamalan movie. Mm-hmm. He invested his own money into that, um, so he was he had nobody to answer to that whole entire time. That was all him. So when it was done, he so, he sold it um, for distribution. Well, you know, because he was one of the people who invested his money. You know, he gets you know he's getting his ROI. And he's making another movie now, and he's doing it the exact same way. Um, I don't know how how detailed I'm allowed to go into that, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. But um, just let's, leave let's, a let's, leave a cliffhanger because uh, <laughs> I'm sure we'll find out information about that later. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and there's other because th- yeah, you know because um, M Night wanted to go back to doing that. He wanted to go back to making the the smaller films that he had less money, but he had more control. And it's like something Robert Rodriguez has said too. He'd rather have less money but more control rather than more money and less control. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think a lot of filmmakers, you know, there was a there's an old saying. I I think it was by um, uh, I forget who said it, but you know, when the gods want to punish you, they won't give you what you want. Or they'll give you what you want, or something like that. I, I think I just butchered that. But, um, <laughs> but but basically, you know, a lot of people are are itching for this distribution deal, and it it, it might not be what you think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are are going to AFM or they're going to you know Sundance, and they're they're looking at you know oh I want you know a million dollars for this movie. Um, I I just think there's better ways. You know, like Jason Brubaker has said before, there's just better ways to do this. Um, and honestly, a lot of people are selling movies that, you know, maybe the script wasn't where it should be. Maybe they skimped. They don't have enough money to pay a quality crew because I've seen some some movies. I mean, because I like, you know, like I was saying before, I get a, uh, a lot of people send me messages through my 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 Web page. They both, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the, my, my website and some of these movies to me, I, I don't they, they look like a, a student film and they're telling me, hey, I, I invested one hundred thousand dollars into this. And I'm sitting there thinking, my God, a hundred thousand dollars. Where did it all go? Mm-hmm. Um, because it certainly wasn't in the. It's certainly not in the production value. Um, so, 
you know, I, I would really urge people, if you're going to make a movie, definitely get references and, and see a reel or see something they've worked on where they are specifically that job. Unless, okay, you want to get like, let's just say you have a camera operator and he's a he's a camera operator on, on big movies, okay? And you wanted to – and you, you contact this, this person, he or she, and you say, hey, listen, you know, you're a camera operator on these big movies. How would you like to be a, the cinematographer on my movie? And, you know, maybe that'll – maybe that's incentive, you know, um, well, along with money to get him to come to your movie. Uh, you know, what, I, what I'm trying to say with that is, you know, make sure you have a talented crew. And then there's so many key positions you could have. The director, which if it's you, you know, uh, you know, again, you know your limitations and always genius surround yourself with everyone smarter than you are. The DP, the first AD, um, your makeup department, uh, and most importantly, craft services all have to be solid uh, because, uh, you know, all those people have to be A+. plus. You know, the smaller the team you have, the more A-plus everyone has to be uh, because you, 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 when you have a small team – you cannot afford to have anybody be less than A plus because you're going to be answering all their questions. You're going to be basically doing their job, and then you're and, that, and I've done this too. You know, I've hired people who aren't A plus for a small crew for for a, a film I was making with a small crew, and they weren't A plus. And the whole time, Scott, I was following them around, t- telling them what to do. I had to constantly basically hold their hand and tell them every little thing to do. I had to do this. I had to do that. Um, and basically by the end, I was like, I'm not even doing my job anymore. You mm-hmm. know, I'm not directing this movie anymore. I'm not directing this whatever anymore. I'm now basically doing their job and the movie's just sort of going on, going on in the background, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it's gotten away from me before. Um, you know, at some point in time, maybe when I, when I do a crowdfunding campaign, I want to go into detail of every project I've ever done my, that I've directed. Uh, and I'm going to tell them what went wrong. How I fixed it going forward, and then you know, and then everything else. Um, I might lose a friend or two on that that are still on my Facebook, but most of the people who've screwed up very badly, Scott, I don't talk to anymore for a reason. Um, you know, I, I, everything from the guy who, like, like for instance, I had a, a guy who wanted to like read my one of my scripts and that I was going to shoot, and he wanted to you know just just read it and say, hey, listen, I, I would love to use some notes on it. I gave him some. Uh, I gave it to him. He gave me some notes. Um, I get it back, and one of his suggestions I actually used. Well, then he turned around and said, "Oh, well, now I own part of the script." Oh. And and I said, "Are you out of your mind?" I didn't say it that nicely though, and we 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 went back and forth. Um, it it just was a case of somebody who thinks that, you know that their contribution was a lot more than what they thought it was. And it was also a case of he saw dollar signs when, you know, if he had just shut the hell up and let me do my thing, we would have, you know, we, the, the project would have been 10 times better. Um, uh, but I, you know, I have a couple projects I also want to start putting up on my site. I want to put up the practice graphic novel I've been talking about. Um, I have, I actually have episodes, uh, issues one and two all ready to go. They're colored, they're illustrated, everything. Um, and I also want to put up a TV pilot that I shot that I actually pitched to NBC and G4. 
I, I I have a world map of that. I have a pitch packet for that. Um, it's it's that's all. It's like top quality stuff. Um, it's all pixel art. I mean that that was awesome. I had pixel artists I found online, and you know we, we I you know paid them their 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 you know whatever wage we agreed on, and they, that turned out phenomenal. Um, on my YouTube page, I have a couple of things I worked on. So you know it's just learning. Uh, you know what your what your limitations are. You know, learning that and just moving forward and always trying to get better and better and better. And you know, um, maybe one day you will get discovered. Maybe one day you'll go viral, or maybe one day. Um, I I mean, if you want real quickly, Scott, I, I know we have to go, but really quickly, I you know I had a friend of mine put up a zombie trailer that I did. Um, and he got contacted by Lionsgate, and they wanted to buy the rights to this zombie movie that wasn't even completed and didn't even have a script. Uh, but of course, he didn't say that it didn't have a script. He, he had to, he had to play the dance first, and yeah. uh, and um, he ended up talking his way out of a deal. Uh, and you know, sometimes if if you ever want, I will tell you that story in detail because it's pretty funny. <laughs> well, I mean, is it um, is it something that the audience would benefit from, or can or it has to be like a or private? Um, I, I can tell you the story. Uh, it, it, it will be something to benefit. Put it this way: if if the moral of the story is this, if Lionsgate offers you fifty thousand dollars for your zombie film that doesn't have that's not completed, it's just a trailer, and you don't have a script for it, and they offer you fifty thousand dollars, then you do- then you say no, and they double down, and they they offer you a hundred thousand, and you know just because they won't let you direct it, take the money and run. Don't don't ask questions. Don't demand things. If somebody, if believe me, if Lionsgate offered me hundred thousand dollars for for whatever, I would lock myself in my room and I would write out the crappiest script, whatever. But I needed something to hand in, something to show them. Uh, but you know, he was very good at marketing. Uh, because he threw everything up on a website. Again, there's that website again, and he used YouTube as a tool. And you know, though he ended up getting. First, it got plays a lot in Japan. Then it got plays in Eastern Europe, and then then that's when Lionsgate Lionsgate came calling. So you know, it, it's just, it's very interesting. Um, it does it happen? Absolutely. Uh, I know other people who've gotten noticed on YouTube. Yeah. And, um, they the the reason they like to vet people, and this is anybody again, like even me. You got to make sure these people aren't crazy. You got to make sure they understand what's expected of them, and they understand about budgets and money, and uh, well, budgets are money. But you understand about budgets <laughs> and, and crews and working with people, because you know you got to be able to work with each other. Because any problem that you have with one another is going to get magnified as you start filming, because everything becomes you know because art, it, it, art's tough because you know why? Because we're all getting emotional. We all want to make this be- the best piece of work we can. And you know that's when problems are becoming magnified on a film set, and you don't want to be on day two or, or even day one, and then all of a sudden, you know, a, a problem that has been boiling up is going to explode on day one, and you know what's going to happen. It's Murphy's law. Um, I mean, Scott, you know that drunken Irishman Murphy. He was he <laughs> may have been a drunk, but he was right. Yeah, that Murphy's <laughs> yeah. most definitely. Hey, man, as we wrap up, I want to say thank you. But if when I direct people towards your podcast, the Dave Bulls podcast, what are five episodes or like that are like um, must must listen to? Is if you, if if you know if they come across you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I'll, I'll help you out. We know that okay, epi- yeah, yeah. episode number seventy eight is Cassian Elwes. Yes. So that's like top. But now I will give you four. <laughs> okay. Well, if you're a writer, 
if you're a screenwriter, I would look up. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have the episode uh, numbers in front of me, but the episodes with um, Alex Denalaris, who who co-wrote Birdman. He's an Academy Award winner. Uh, look up that episode. Look up the episode with um, Richard Walters. Uh, that's a two-parter. He's he's got a ton of advice. Um, Those are uh, fifty-seven, fifty-eight with Richard Walter, and um, yeah, keep going. <laughs> and um, uh, if you're also and like and even the episode with Sean Baker, uh, he's an amazing. You know, mm-hmm. he, he never heard of the sequencing method, and we got to talk about that. So you know, if you're a writer. Uh, I'm actually going to make a Pinterest folder at a lot of these. So that way, you could just you know go to them and see. Okay, here are the top five screenwriting episodes. Because um, I've had so many talented writers on. Oh, and the one with Derek uh, Colstead. He's that would be the other episode for if you're a screenwriter. Derek wrote John Wick, and he just started. They just started filming John Wick Two. Oh yeah, that was um, a good one. That was a good one. Yeah, the, I'm telling you, uh, he is an awesome guy uh, to know, and he's an awesome writer. And you know he he just uh, he he's been through it, and I mean John Wick, I I, I was blown away by it, uh, because I I really thought it was just going to be some random action movie, and I mean it just everything was awesome about that movie. So you know um, I was really glad that he, he actually said yes because I thought because he's not on social media really at all. He yeah. has one Facebook page and that's it, and he rarely checks it. So I, I had to get intro to him through somebody else. But um, but those are five episodes if you're a screenwriter. There you go. There you go. That's perfect. Hey Dave, man, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, it's really it's really cool to see you progress because like again we kind of started at the same time and and seeing all these great guests you've got on and, and digging deeper and then getting that award for you know winning for writing that's such a such a great way to kind of cap off everything that you've been working so hard for this past year. Oh well, well thank you very much, Scott. I really appreciate that. And that concludes my interview with Dave Bullis over at DaveBullis.com. I definitely highly recommend checking out his podcast and his past episodes. It's a lot, a lot of great information. And if you like this podcast, think about leaving a ratings review over at iTunes. Just go to FilmTrooper.com forward slash iTunes. And there you go. Just leave a rating review. It definitely helps trying to spread the word of what I'm trying to do here at Film Trooper. If you like to share it with other filmmakers. Uh, The ratings and review makes it easier for them to find it on iTunes. That's it for now, but when we get together, it will be episode 100, and I have something very special planned for all of you film troopers. So until then, I will check you later. Bye.